One thing that doesn't change me is there's nothing will get between me and my happiness. Even like tomorrow I die, I'm the happiest person that I feel like, wow, I've lived a very fulfilling life. From Cap Radio, this is a music of their own, an interview podcast about women in music. We hear stories of survival and perseverance, and we explore why being a woman in music is so different from being a man. I'm your host, Majel Connery, and in this first season, we're meeting women in classical music where the number of men vastly exceeds the number of women. The women I interview on this podcast are some of these success stories. They are the ones who have risen to the top of their field against the odds. And as a woman in music myself, I want to understand what they are doing that makes them different, that makes them stand out. This is a music of their own from Cap Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Majel Connery. My guest on this podcast is a composer, singer, and master of a Chinese zither called the Gujang. Her name is Wu Fei. Fei has collaborated with Grammy-winning musicians Bela Fleck and percussionist Billy Martin of Modesky, Martin & Wood. She's appeared at major world venues, including the Forbidden City Concert Hall in Beijing, the 2010 Shanghai Expo, and the New York Museum of Modern Art. This episode is about the paths we take and how the paths we take inform the person we become. Fei was brought up in an ultra-rigorous classical environment in China where she was put on a path toward becoming a composer. But Fei is also a singer. And in this first part of our conversation, we talk about how she went off the path to discover her voice. You have trained extensively in multiple instruments, and you talk a lot about your training and how you come to be acquainted with instruments, but you don't talk a lot about your voice, and yet you vocalize a lot in your music. So I'm just really curious to know about the development of your singing voice. You know, there's a term, there, uh, there's two terms in Chinese. One is 专业的, which means professional. One is 业余的, one is amateur. So if you didn't go through the vocal training as a voice major, then culturally, I don't even consider myself as a vocalist. It's it's just the structure, the institution there is that uh, black and white. When once I started um, in the conservatory, I was accepted as a composition student. I wasn't accepted as an instrumentalist. Very black and white. Like if you're a composer, don't even think about performing. Stick with your pencil and pen. If you are a performer, don't even think about composing. You are there to play other people's music. So, I mean, you you have a very powerful and expressive voice. Like, you can sing quietly or you can wail. But even now, you don't speak about the process of finding your singing voice or feeling liberated in that particular way. Like, how does it make you feel to sing on albums with people? I mean, it's like, it's a really crazy journey, no? To me, I had a lot of vocal training, even as a composition student, uh, because we had to sing uh, 
you know, SoFish. SoFish is very much of a voice training, but it's more of a pitch training rather than you got to sing in the perfect tones and perfect vocal register. When I moved back to China for to Beijing to my home city for five years um, after living in all over America, I was drawn to to traditional music again. Uh, so I studied、uh, Chinese Kunqu opera, which is one of the hardest way、uh, opera to sing.、Uh, so that、uh, made me also realize that.、Uh, If you can sing Chinese opera, then sing other songs. It's like、yeah. piece of cake. I mean, I, I've I've found in a couple other interviews that there is this kind of、um, fear of acting the amateur、um, in 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 folks who are trained in particular disciplines. Like you are trained,、mm. you are really trained <laughs> in、yeah. composition, and you are really trained in guzheng, and you are really trained in classical Western piano, and. I wondered. I sort of had this hunch that you might harbor doubts about whether it was appropriate to assert yourself as a vocalist, and whether you ever worry about getting called out <laughs> for it professionally. I didn't write even for. I didn't even add a singer in my bio until who knows the last like maybe less than ten years or maybe the last six years. Because I did feel because I think carrying that cultural, you know.、Uh, You say baggage or anything subconsciously. I just never felt. I grew up with professional singers, my schoolmates. You know, all the mega opera singers in China are my currently are my schoolmates. Were my schoolmates. We went, we lived in the same dorm together for six years. So I cannot sing like they are singers. <laughs> yeah. And do you not find that that bias exists in the states as well? Way less than China. You know, my only comparison is Chinese style. So I thought it was I was liberated seriously because that's the only comparison I had when I came here. I was like, wow, I can do all of these things. <laughs> I totally understand how much more、um, present and maybe even oppressive this might feel in a Chinese context. But I find that that. Um, the disambiguation between what it means to be an amateur、um, versus what it means to be a, a trained performer exists here in the states too, and it's like it's a mark of pride if you have、mm. training, and it's like a badge of shame <laughs> if you don't. And yet, there are people among us who have not attended school who are some of the best. I mean, you're on Smithsonian Folkways, some of the. Best folk singers in the world obviously didn't go to conservatory to、mm. learn what they did, but like this, there is a sort of cultural shame even in this country、um, that's exerted sort of subconsciously on us. And and I, I I was just interested to explore the the extent to which you feel that. Oh,、too. absolutely, you were right on point. Yeah, it, it does exist.、Uh, what music is 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 whether it, it should just sound good and touch people's heart. That's really that's the music that has. Lasted in human、yeah. history, whether and then most of my singer, you know, professional singer classmates, schoolmates,、um, when they when I hear them sing, you know, it's like it's really restrained and because all that, and I don't feel touched by their singing.、Mm. They're very skilled singers, but I that doesn't bring my tears down. <laughs>
You're listening here to Faye, I'm sure you guessed, singing with her collaborator Abigail Washburn. This is on their self-titled album on Smithsonian Folkways, and the track is called Buddha Da. What strikes me about this track is that Faye's voice, as unique as it is, blends so well with the voice of a bluegrass musician. It's one of these things that makes her really striking as a musician, this protean quality. As unique as her sound is, she can fit into almost any musical niche. As artists and as human beings, as we travel on our own peculiar little paths, the paths themselves can be pretty winding and pretty elusive. There's a really important juncture in Faye's path that she references a lot, and it involves a well-known improviser called Fred Frith, who taught Faye at Mills College. Frith, the anecdote goes, told Faye something that rocked her world. He said he did not see her in her compositional music. And this stunned Faye so much so that she abandoned one path entirely for a new one. I wanted to hear way more about what really went on here. What exactly did she realize? And how exactly did she create a new path out of nothing? And how long did it take? So when I came to the States, uh, I, I, was, I was overjoyed to see any music that was not conservatory music that I had never seen in my life, like marching band for sports. <laughs> I was like, wow, these are really awesome percussionists. Like, so, you know, I, I, where I grew up, there's like total 500 people in one school from high school to uh, we had no marching band. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know sports team, and uh, and and to uh, Western African drumming ensemble, uh-huh. and then to Northern Indian raga groups. I mean, it was in Texas. It was, you know, that's truly America is an immigrant country. That's where I discovered from music people when they came to this country to bring their music here, and I was blown away. And that was quickly two years, and then I came to uh, Oakland. And Mills, that's another uh, like inst- institution that is just when some of the most pioneer way of creating music sound, sound art. Uh, I was really, uh, really out there, I would say. Uh, and, and, and then started talking to my professors. And, and then they told me one of the is really with Fred. You need to let go of all that training because... In the West, or at least here, the reason you compose music is you feel like it because no one forced you to write music, right? Like yeah. you want to, you know, it's like you want to talk. No one forced you to talk. You know, you want to talk about what you want to talk about. I barely enjoyed playing music when I was uh, a student. Like, they, you know, my American colleagues were happy when they were playing music. My Chinese colleagues looked cranky when they played music because <laughs> they hated being there because everyone was trained like the same way as me. They were there to fulfill a duty. So I was definitely influenced by just seeing my friends in America uh, playing music, feeling happy and, and expressive uh, uh, influenced me. I was like, wow. It's actually supposed to be happy, not supposed to be, you know, heavy, heavy heart hearted. And uh, 
So I just had to rewind my life. I, I stayed home basically for about a week after I had that class with Fred and just to rewind my life. Like, how did I get here? I have all this craft, but I've never written something truly for myself. And I thought that was the saddest life. I went some. I went to like pretty deep, deep depression. Like I was defined. I was a music trophy child in my entire life, for my family, for my school, for the city of Beijing nationally. Uh, you know, I was a trophy. I was winning competitions on live. You know, like music, the music Jeopardy of China for youth and winning medals. So you know, thinking about that, I, I was on the ivory tower of Chinese youth musician, and then I did all of that. For someone else, basically, and at age of twenty-four or something, I felt like, wow, I really wasted my life. So I considered even to drop music to just do something else, just to 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 try what that feels like. That I I wasn't put on this path by someone else. I chose that path for myself. I want to try that, but and it was like some of the most scary thing, you know. Like that's the only thing I knew. I thought I would just give it last try, and I start playing with my schoolmates at the you know improvisation ensemble, and then I was still playing the guzheng and with the with the you know the tunes I know from childhood. Just to I hear a moment and I start playing this, and everyone smiled. Everyone loved it. It was like five seconds or something, ten seconds, and that was the moment. I felt like wow, I could do this. I felt joy with my colleagues, and that was the first time I remember. Everyone loved it. Everyone started to smile like a child to me. I was like, "Yeah!" <laughs> so since then, I I just you know I learned how to fly. I, that was the moment I learned. I really tested my wings for the first time, like 25 year old bird <laughs> trying to fly. But I should have done that by the age of five, I think. <laughs> It gives me tears, really. Cloud of Birds from Faye's album *A Distant Youth*. Faye is playing here with the violinist Carla Kilstedt and managing to sound almost like a harp. Texturally, this piece is unlike anything I have ever encountered. But yet again, you hear how Faye somehow manages to make this very unique sound belong in the context of instruments that normally don't go together. Thank、you
from Wu Fei on a music of their own after this break. We'll be right back. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. One of the things that makes Faye remarkable as a person and as a musician is her resilience. We're about to cover some details about Faye's life that will illustrate for you why I say that. Even in the most difficult moments of Faye's life, she has an incredible gift for figuring out how to regroup and get back on her path. I'm going to just let Faye take it away here. One thing that doesn't change me is um, there's nothing will get between me and my happiness. Uh, I'm very content about my music. I love every piece. Literally, it's like they're all my children. I have absolutely zero doubt about about my music. And uh, even like tomorrow I die, I'm the happiest person that I feel like, wow, I've lived a very fulfilling life. So uh, every day is a gift. So with that uh, content feeling, I I just don't care anymore. And I mean, life is too short. I mean, like it's still, you know, nothing gets between me and my happiness. And uh, whether I can change others' view to look at me, I mean, hey, uh, I don't really care. <laughs> I, I, that's up to them. And everyone, there's no wrong or right. Um, uh, well, let me let me cut in, Faye, because yeah. I think you're articulating something that resonates so awesomely with me right now in my awesome, own awesome. career, but I I want to just push you to say more. So you said a few moments ago, if I died tomorrow, I know that I would be happy. Was there some forcing function or some like good thing or bad thing that really caused you to have to clarify this for yourself? Maybe one thing, may, one event in my life um, uh, that I... I've just stopped feeling any confusion. Uh, when my first child is born, she had to go uh, into a surgery uh, right away, uh, like 15 hours after her birth. Wow. Uh, and so we spent the seven, her, she spent the se- first seven weeks of her life in the NICU in Beijing. And then um, two, two nights, I think two nice out of the seven weeks uh, were literally the the doctor calling me in the middle of the night saying like we have we can't wait for you to show up to sign you have to give us a verbal uh, agreement on this thing uh otherwise we may lose her i was like okay go ahead and do it wow. uh, and then she's like and then we, we left the hospital seven weeks later and she's been perfect that experience made me realize, wow, my family was like just one moment away from being completely shattered. I just thought if I could live through that time, it was really the darkest time in my life. Um, uh, I, I could deal with anything. Every day is a, is a gift, really, since that uh, event. Uh, every day is a, is a gift. So I want to live every day as, as, as if it's my last day on the planet. You know what I'm struck by right now, Faye? It's not, 
it's not necessarily the things that you are saying, like, um, you know, live every day like it's your last day. Uh, it, it's that you mean it in a way that I've almost never heard anybody mean it. And I know where it comes from in your case. I understand why you have this incredible resilience and that it is real. Oh, yeah, I've got thick skin. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've got thick skin. I mean, this thick skin, I've just, you know, probably <laughs> exercised since I was a kid because, you know, doing competitions when you are being announced yeah. that you got knocked out on stage, you know, just seeing the disappointment wow. from your parents' face among 200 other parents, you know, like if I can deal with that, that would be really like- Wait a minute. You did competitions where there would be hundreds of parents sitting in an auditorium setting and your your failure to advance would be announced from stage? Yes. Wow. All the time. Every single one of them. Wow. Since wow. I was nine what years old. a level of humiliation. Oh, oh my yeah. god. I mean, that's, that's, oh, that's so, like, in not only from music, but from regular school. Just uh, my uh, elementary school, middle school, that after each midterm or final exams, our names would be put on the, the good students, the top 50 would put on a red board. And then the bottom 50 would put on a white board. And or in the one we try to get enter the conservatory high school, there was the most notorious competitions ever in my life. I felt like I really re, was reborn. That the first round, uh, you know, the parents had to go to the conservatory to look at a public board to see if your children's kids' names are on the next round. Mm-hmm. And then my mom, she said it was like. Because me and my dad wouldn't dare to go. And my mom was like, okay, I have to go. So, but she said it was like the slowest bike ride in her life. So she, she felt she felt like her legs were like cotton, so oh, soft and slow. She was probably literally having a, you know, a, a panic attack uh, while she was riding the bike to find out if her daughter advanced. And then, you know, and then she saw my name and she, oh gosh. But she literally saw other parents bawling, like kneeling down on the ground, crying uh, in front of her when other parents felt like, oh, my kids is in, you know, it was it was like that. So that was my whole life, my whole like before before I came to the States, it was every year we had to deal with that. songs here. The first one is Minnick and Warrior, and the second one is called Syringa Falls. These are songs that Faye co-wrote with her collaborator Guillaume Riley on their album Pluck. In a musical context, a plucker is anyone who plucks the strings of a stringed instrument. So here we have two instruments, the guzheng and the acoustic guitar, which come from totally different worlds, but they sound so compatible and so organic together. The trouble with a path is that when you're on the path, it doesn't feel like a path. (laughs) There is no clear beginning. There is no clear middle. There is certainly no clear end. 
And when you're on your path, it can just feel like a mess. In Faye's case, her path felt like an avalanche for a few moments in her life. But the gift that Faye was given is that she was able to interpret her way out of these moments. She was faced with the death of a child, possibly. She was faced with the possible end of a career. And she faced both of these things. She internalized them. She processed them. She got up and she got back on the path. And days after speaking to Faye, I am still moved by the way that she has acquired a suit of armor from these experiences. Nothing can touch her now. She just seems indestructible. I think we should all have that. So to me, the lesson here is that we should embrace the gnarliest moments on our path, the worst and darkest and most incohate feelings that we feel because those are the moments that we actually have the opportunity to learn, to build a suit of armor, and to move forward. Next time on A Music of Their Own, Big commissions come with big responsibilities. Angelica Negron breaks down what happens when they do. It's not inviting the people. That's like such the bare minimum. It's how you treat them when they're there. I'm there for a reason and I deserve that same respect that other white male composers that are invited in those spaces have. That's next time on A Music of Their Own from Cap Radio. A Music of Their Own is a Cap Radio production. Interviews were engineered and produced by me, Majel Connery, and edited by Kevin Doherty. Paul Conley mastered the mix. Sally Schilling is our executive producer with production assistance from Jen Picard. Chris Hagen is our digital editor. Chris Bruno is in charge of marketing. Our designs were created by Marissa Espiritu. Renee Thompson is our digital projects manager. And our social media is run by Emmy Gilbert and Emily Zentner. The theme song for a music of their own is called We Need a Room, and it's by my band, Sky Creature. You can find the song and Sky Creature on all major audio platforms. Don't forget to follow a music of their own wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating and a review so others can find this podcast too. To find out more about the guests on our podcast, go to the show notes or visit capradio.org forward slash a music of their own. Thanks for listening. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.